Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now I'm a fully fledged. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Foster carer. I've done some emergency cares for little kids and teenagers. It's a lovely way to give back, Miff. Oh, it doesn't even feel like that, though, when you're doing it, you know. It's just... If you were a kid in that situation, it'd be nice to have somebody who gave us stuff about you at that point. I see it as a privilege to be able to do that. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. I am so thrilled today to welcome to Short Black one of Australia's most celebrated and recognised talents in the Australian TV, music, radio, celebrity space. Miff Warhurst, welcome to Short Black. Oh, Sandra Sully, it's a pleasure to be here and pleasure to talk to you today. Well, I can't believe we actually have never met. I was trying to work that out myself. I'm I'm really not sure how on earth we've avoided one another and I don't think we've been avoiding one another. We just (laughs) just haven't crossed paths at all. Well, you know what I always love about your on-air persona is this real warmth that comes through. You know, you just have this really lovely personality. We're coming together on Short Black because while we've never formally met until today, we've shared an extraordinary journey. We've both been included in Who Do You Think You Are on SBS Series 13, and your episode's been to air. Mine hasn't. How was it? Wow. I mean, I I know you'll probably have a similar experience. It, It was something I'd always thought would be really interesting to do, but I think I had no idea of the impact it would have on me and my family and um the information that I, I learnt along the way was was beautiful and difficult and in a way I, I guess it's given me a bit more purpose in my own life, having had ancestors who faced such difficulties and it's I think it's my job to celebrate them and share their story and, 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 and go on and live my life as best I can too. Because I have that luxury and they never did. So that's that's been the huge effect on me. I know for me when they asked me to be involved I was really chuffed. I felt like it was such a privilege. What about you? Absolutely. I mean, I've only seen episodes with like real famous people on it, like you, Sandra. <laughs> and um, I was, I was like, oh, really? Do I, do I count? Like, is is that okay? Because you never see yourself as being a TV personality. It's just what we do. So when they asked, I was, I was so chuffed as well. And I wasn't sure that we had any interesting stories to tell. 
on mum's side, she said, oh, our family's pretty boring. They were just poor farming, working class, factory workers. There wasn't a lot to tell. And on dad's side, we just didn't know anything given my grandma was adopted and there was no details at all of who the the, the parents were. So yeah, I, I just didn't think we'd have much to, to learn, but it, it turned out to be the absolute opposite. Were you apprehensive at the start? Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, I think I was worried a little bit, and I'm not sure about you, but I was worried a bit about my family and whether or not they wanted to know this information because my dad has grown up obviously with his mum who was adopted and when she was adopted it was out of wedlock which was very shameful back in the 1920s or turn of the century whenever whenever it was I'm not very good with dates and that's obviously not the case anymore I mean people don't even get married at all it doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter but there was for my grandmother I know there was a lot of shame and I do think in a way like my dad's never talked about his history and I do think in a way that that is passed down to the next generation so I, I wasn't sure if they wanted to know this stuff. But as it turns out, Dad was a very um, positive person in this whole process, happy to share, and I think that's the first time we've ever really talked about this stuff together. I imagine the story he learnt from it would be very tough too to hear of the difficulties that his grandmother faced that he never knew. It's a really popular series for so many reasons, and I think it connects us all because all our stories are, yes, they're personal but they're fascinating and it gives you such insight into the reality that, you know, we all are the product of our past. Yeah. For me, there were so many pieces to a puzzle I didn't even know were missing. That's true. There's people in your family you don't even know exist and I think that was quite shocking and surprising for me. Yeah, I've got relatives overseas who have lived a fabulous life and I can't wait to connect with them when I can, you know, get over to America. I've got a whole new bunch of relatives in South Australia that I I never knew of before. It's had a huge impact in that sense. In my introduction, you were very kind saying, you know, I I present as all these things and you can see who I am. But that's the thing, that's what I was worried about with this show is it's so raw that there is nothing to hide behind. It's talking about you and your history and stuff that's really deep inside you in terms of your sort of heart and family. I was really apprehensive that perhaps I might come across as a little bit, you know, unhinged because I knew I'd cry, but I didn't realise the emotional impact that it would have on me. And I was also in lockdown in Melbourne for nearly two years when we filmed this and I'd been living alone for a lot of that time and it was it was the first trip out of Melbourne in months and months and because we weren't allowed out of a 5K radius and I got to go to Bendigo. It was like going to the Bahamas, I've been saying. <laughs> Felt amazing but I also was pretty brittle, I think. I was terrified about how I would come across in that I might have looked a bit bonkers or something. <laughs> I'm not sure. No, no, no. You know, you grew up one of four, the youngest of four, but you were absolutely in love with pop music and trash TV and you're always drawn to it. Yes, your parents were art teachers. Yes, they encouraged you to, to be creative. But what you discovered in your journey was that your ancestors were all entertainers. <laughs> and lots of them were entertainers. I mean, it's in your DNA. I know. And that's the best thing about this. I guess when you know it, it confirms a few things. Learning about your history in this way, it, it's confirmed that there's a reason why I've been drawn to this kind of business. And my brothers as well, also in our family and many others. And, and as I found out, I had a relative that was a quite a major pop star in Australia in the 1960s, April Byron. 
Now, I'm not really across 1960s pop. I do know a lot about music because that's what I've, I've done for the last nearly 30 years. But to learn about her, because a lot of women's stories weren't told or remembered necessarily. We know a lot about the men of that era, but April was also a, a real force in her time too, in the 60s. She was out on her own. She was amazing and she was a total babe. The Elizabeth Taylor of Australia. She was beautiful. Yeah, and talented, but like she had a child of her own and she wasn't married and I think that derailed her career somewhat in Australia, but she went on to record with the Bee Gees, went to America, did all the, you know, all the clubs in Vegas and Palm Springs and like she was quite amazing. Hang on, she had a long-standing relationship with John Farnham, who you must know. No, I've never met John Farnham either. He's never come on Spicks and Specs. You're kidding. He's never come on the show and he's one person I would love to have met because in the 80s I grew up loving John Farnham and had I known that April Byron and John were in, in a relationship for quite some time, they toured together in the 60s around the country, I would have lost my tiny mind back then. It would have been amazing to know that. And I comfort myself with now going, well, I guess I could kind of call him Uncle Johnny, couldn't I? Yeah, I mean, the king of pop, you were almost related. Almost, almost, not quite. I'm sure he's probably going, oh, God, thank goodness I'm not related to her, but uh, who knows, but I've never met him, but we'll, we'll find out. Well, certainly the show exposes some uncomfortable truths did you find that confronting at all? I found it really confronting to, to learn about my great-grandmother, Maud, who adopted out my grandmother uh, on a handshake adoption. Like It really was nothing deeply formal about this agreement at all, and I think she always had the intention of getting her children back because she always tried through her life. But to learn that she was sent to an institution at the age of seven and was not allowed to live a, a normal life by any standards, no normal child needs were met, no hugging, no touching, no friends. Um, they worked from dawn till dusk. It was a horrible tale to, to learn and, and then to hear that she was sent out to various houses as a servant like many of those other young women were at that time. She had no autonomy and she had no no voice essentially and I think that was the, the toughest thing to acknowledge and of course awful things happened to her and yeah, just it was it was a lot to learn and like I said, it, it's given me great resolve to try and do better in, in this life, to celebrate her but also to make sure things like this don't happen again. How has it helped your family at all, just in terms of understanding where you come from? I think it, it has helped them in that they're, they're all talking about it. This is something that they never did. The older generation, you know, their life was a lot tougher. You just got on with it. And the fact that this show has allowed them all to reflect at a later stage in their life and I think connect again too, that's been really special because, you know, people lose touch. Families are big. It's it's difficult. Lives are busy. But this has given them all a reason to, to reconnect but also to reflect and I think begin to understand perhaps some of the things that have happened in their own experiences of their immediate families too. So... It was such a gift for us and for me. I don't know, did you find the same? I know you probably haven't spoken about it with your family, but just that conversing and talking about these things was a really big deal for our family. I came back from the trip and I haven't told anyone anything. Oh, really? I don't want to spoil the surprise. No. Wow. I didn't tell mine either, but I had to talk to them about getting information and 
for them to think about it and they all started calling each other to, to find out things, you know, if, who's got this photo and that, that bit I loved. I wonder for you if it was the same as it was for me, but I had to ask my parents if they wanted me to do it because it's really their life. Yes. And it's so personal. So personal. And and I did exactly the same, Sandra. Like I, I called up mum and dad and I said, oh, look, I've been offered to do this. And I think they were a little bit hesitant, to be honest. And mum was first to say, oh, our family has got no stories. There's nothing there. <laughs> and dad, you know, had never. I've never talked about it with him. And we've never really discussed. And he said, my mum didn't talk about it at all. But they were they were happy for me to do it. I think they've they've always been encouraging in that sense. And if it was a new experience for me, they saw saw the benefit of it, and I think they saw how keen I was to do it. So it was fine. But how did your parents react? Well, they're just anxious to know what we discovered, mm. and of course, I'm not telling them because I'm going to sit down and watch it with them, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm going. My mum's a bit apprehensive, but I I said to her, "Look, you just need to know that there's nothing to be embarrassed about." And I really think. You know, I'm a kid of the 60s, you're a kid of the 70s. But really our parents were Depression-era, Second World War children. And my parents, in those days, you could only look forward. There was nothing to look back at. It was all pretty depressing. So, so many people I've spoken to have said to me, you know, I, I never really asked my parents about their life because kids are always so self-absorbed, aren't they? Yeah, true. We had moments as a family asking questions, but they really couldn't give us many answers because they didn't ask their parents many questions. No. Well, well, that's the thing. And, and, and as I alluded to earlier, there's a lot of shame around things that happened. And family life back then was possibly even more complicated than today because of that. And kids were seen but not heard. They were. They were. And there were so many secrets because even if things did happen say dad ran off with someone else's mum or something, no one ever talked about it. So you never knew what the repercussions of that were, how that affected the family. It was just get on with it, move on. And I think, yeah, that's a huge change from their generation to ours and, and getting their heads, my parents in particular, around that idea wasn't too tough, but it's it's not as easy for them as it is for us who've grown up knowing that all of this stuff's, you know, that, that sort of with, withholding information from ourselves or not talking about stuff, we know now that that's not good for you. It doesn't work out well and I think this has been a huge step for them to, to learn that it's okay to just put it all out there because in the end it's, it's much better for you, I think. And I think you see in the series that everyone's got a story and I thought, well, what's there to be embarrassed about? I mean, unless I'm related to Adolf or Jack the Ripper, it can't be that bad, can it? Yeah, exactly. It can't be that bad. That's the thing. And it wasn't, you know, it was it was just wonderful education and purely just an education in resilience for me and determination and how to get through stuff against the odds. And, and I think and a, and a recognition of how bloody privileged my life has been and a real appreciation to my forebears for that. lot of revelation about children being adopted out, as you say, the handshake. You've um, want to consider foster parenting yourself. 
Yeah, well, I, I was considering it before the show and had actually started doing training, having no idea that this was coming up in my life. And it was sort of, it happened at the same time. Wow. And it's been a a real kind of journey for me, for want of a better term. I, that term feels like a, such a reality TV show term, doesn't it? I don't have kids myself. And being locked down in, in Melbourne for all that time, I, I looked around and I just thought, gee, I'm, I'm so lucky I have space. There are people who need a bit of help. I can provide that. And it was just an initial thought, but doing the series made it concrete. So now I'm a, a fully-fledged uh, foster carer and I've, I've done some emergency cares for little kids and teenagers. And, and how have you found it? I've loved it. It's, it's not easy because I don't have any experience and these kids come with their own challenges, of course, uh, but I, I just figure I can provide. I've got a dog and two cats. I can provide a fun, safe place for those moments of emergency when they need it. And if you can do that, that's what they need at that point. You know, I haven't done anything longer term, but I just make sure we eat all their favourite food and go to the movies and, you know, watch something on Netflix they're probably not allowed to watch. and You know, do stuff like that and have a laugh. (laughs) It's good. That's awesome. It's a lovely way to give back, Miff. Oh, it doesn't even feel like that, though, when you're doing it, you know. It's just... If you were a kid in that situation, it'd be nice to have somebody who gave us stuff about you at that point, you know, and, and that's what they need. And hopefully then they can move on to a better situation. I mean, I'd be open to a more long-term care situation too, for sure, down the track. But at this stage, it's it, it's just helping and, and that's what these kids need. And also, like my great-grandmother didn't have because she was not encouraged to have friends or make friends in the institutions that she was housed in. It gives kids a wider social network than just their own and to know that there's greater support out there than just, say, the the foster care organisation, you know, that people out there in the broader community do care, I reckon that helps too. If there's a couple of people out there who care and the world's not as scary, you know, or as awful because their lives aren't great, their lives are not great. So, yeah, it's a a privilege. I, I see it as a privilege to be able to do that. It is, but still, you know, you have to have the mindset and the heart to do it. Now, I'm talking to you today. You're in Brisbane. I'm in Sydney. You're travelling a bit now that we're out of lockdown. What's your main gig these days? What are you up to? Goodness me, I've been flat out, Sandra, which is great. I'm not complaining at all (laughs) given the last couple of years. Uh, I just came back from Europe, hosted Eurovision with Joel Creasy. Oh, the relationship between you and Joel is just fantastic. I mean, clearly you adore each other. Oh, we do. I love him. I, I couldn't have asked for a better work partner. And this last trip we went to Italy and uh, our respective partners came along so they could hang out while we were busy working because it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a hard gig. But then, you know, we'd get to have dinners and, and pasta and wine in Italy. So it's not, it's, you know, it doesn't feel like work at all. And it's, it's just lovely. Other times we've been away, we've had little holidays at the end together and I meet them somewhere at some point, you know, sometimes when they're traveling. So I adore, absolutely adore him. It's just been fabulous. We just also finished another 10 episodes of Spicks and Specs. We got back and recorded some new shows because Adam Hills made it back to Australia for a few months, which is great. So we thought we'd grab him. That's going to air, uh, I think, in August or September. I don't know. What do you love about that show? It, look, it's pure joy. And, and Sandra, you know when you work in telly, not, not all your jobs are as fun as others. And, and I think we took a step back from Spicks and Specs in 2012. And in the 
years that went in between, I think we all realised what a joy it was and what a luxury it was to have such a great gig. It's just a hoot. So (laughs) we thought, why not? Why not do more? And it really worked because there was nothing else like it. Like you you actually honed in on a love affair that Australians had, but it hadn't actually been talked about or fleshed out or nothing had been celebrated in the way that you guys celebrated in a fun way. Oh, that's such a nice way of putting it. I hadn't even really thought about it like that. Maybe that is what it is because it's it's a little indefinable for me other than it's a, a fun time and, and we showcase all the different types, not just one style or one age group or you know, we can have people from all walks of musical life and comedy life together. And I think that's that's the nice thing. It's It was very inclusive from day dot. And that, that's another reason I think why it worked, because everyone had something to relate to. Oh, well, the, you know, the music of our youth is the soundtrack of our life, isn't it? That's what I love about music. It just reminds you of a time and a place and emotion. Absolutely. Now, you've you've landed one of the best gigs in TV. And then you get a chance to do some fun things like, who knew you're the voice of Aunt Trixie in the show Bluey? (laughs) I am. But I don't have kids, so I have no idea how huge it is. No idea. I went to a wedding uh, a couple of months back and there was this little kid that was just staring at me from, you know, knee height up. And I I was like, what's going on here? And then his mum came up and said, he's just found out that you're on Bluey and he has lost his mind. (laughs) Like he was so excited. He couldn't quite comprehend why I was a human. But when I said, you know, I spoke and I don't have a lot of words in the show. I just basically turn up for parties and then to take mum away for a drink if she needs it, which is pretty typecast, I think, but I'm happy with that. (laughs) Um, But he knew and he was like just overwhelmed. It was the most gorgeous thing. It really was. I love doing things like that that are just a little out of the box. And yeah, that was a great, great little pleasure that I've I've had over the last couple of years. What I love is that um, Bluey's mum, Chili, plays hockey and I'm a hockey person. I'm actually, you know, be really boring. I've been on the board of Hockey Australia for a long time and every I've reached out to the guys at Bluey because I said, Chili needs to wear a hockey roost jumper. That needs to be her favourite jumper when she goes off to training. That's so good. And I ran into um, Daley Pearson actually at the Logies and I was very cheeky and uh, he said, oh, Sandra, keep trying. I, I haven't forgotten your request. Somehow we'll make it work. You know, if you're a hockey fan, the fact that Tilly plays hockey and uh, your mum played hockey, yeah? Yeah, she did. She played for Australia back in the 60s. Oh, my goodness. Before it was an Olympic sport, obviously, but she went to Malaysia and represented Australia. She represented Victoria. She was amazing, absolutely amazing. And I think about her in small country town uh, down on the coast, uh, Portland, I think it was, where, where she was. She'd drive four or five hours to Melbourne to train and then drive back and she had four kids and it was just crazy the way they got it done in those days. Yeah, but, you know, when you love something, you just make it happen, don't you, because you don't think about it. That's true. I didn't know your hockey background either. Oh, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't good like your mum. <laughs> I was very pedestrian. Now, a lot of people wouldn't realise that you actually studied music education at Melbourne Uni. You got a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Fine Art and Art Curatorial Studies. This is extraordinary, really, when you think a lot of people go to uni and they hope to pursue their passion. But could you ever have imagined that you'd end up doing what you're doing now? No. And I, I grew up in a small country town about five, six hours from capital cities, Adelaide and Melbourne, and I just 
like I said, even the, the, the idea of knowing somebody like John Farnham was vaguely related to my family would be just mind-blowing for that little kid. So when you, when you say it like that, I often think about that little 13-year-old and step back and go, yeah, I've, I've done pretty much more than I wanted to thus far, which is very exciting. Yeah, I'm really lucky, I think. It's, yeah. You've worked in journalism, the music industry, you've hosted radio, you've done so much, but what's next? What haven't you done that you'd love to do? Well, I'm I'm writing currently writing the last chapter of my book, which will be out, I think, in October. So I'm sweating over this final chapter. I just can't get it done, you know, and you're just struggling. But this is what you were talking about before. It's it's about it's about my memory, but every memory is spurred on by a, a song or, or or music. So that's that's the sort of the way into telling a story because it's been so much of my life and that's been really great too to to think about the things that have happened and as a step off point I've got songs that everyone would know obviously it's about a lot about my growing up and then just various experiences it's not it's not a traditional memoir and it goes this is what happened then and then this happened then it's just sort of it drops in and out of spots in my life and yeah it's it's been a challenge I've got to say it's not easy writing a book <laughs> So what what prompted you to write a book? I think lockdown gave me a bit more headspace to to think about things. And you know what? I've, after filming, who do you think you are? I was I was spurred on to it's it's good to write these things down. It's good to have some memories that other people can draw on if they ever want to. They might, you know, no one might care at all. But you never know. And I think it's just nice. Although I must admit I'm sick of myself now. I'm totally sick of thinking about myself after writing a book. (laughs) But I think everyone has a story to tell. When you sit there and look at a blank page, maybe the journey of who do you think you are helped you find a structure that you thought will work. Is that what happened? I think it did, but it also gave me the drive to to get things done because, uh, like I said, I'm so privileged in terms of having you know, just really basic things like being able to live my life the way I want, not be beholden to an institution or or a, a difficult marriage or any of those things. You know, I can have it. I can I can work in any job I want if if I like. I can take out a mortgage. All those things. The liberation of young women today, as opposed to our ancestors. Yeah, yeah, and they could never do any of that, and somehow they survived. You know, against all the odds and. I think part of me just went, okay, it's it's important. I just make the most of this life as best I can, and and really to honour them, I think. So that's when I said, pull your finger out and do your book. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> Have you got a title for it yet? I do. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you, but I will. Okay, we won't tell anyone. Exactly, because it's it's based on musical memories. So musical, well, songs that spur memories, I guess. And so I've called it time of my life oh um which of course classic song from the dirty dancing soundtrack which was you know a very influential film on on teenage me but I think it encapsulates a lot of things really about how I've managed to live yeah you know what Miff I'm sorry we've interrupted your writing deadline don't interrupt me all you like Sandra because I just don't want to get it done (laughs) I have to say that Australiana bird song behind you is just glorious isn't it I know the crows, I'm at my partner's place in Brisbane and the crows are hectic out the back. I, I kind of love it though. I know they're destroying everything, but I love it. So you spend a lot of time in Brisbane? That's my hometown. Yes, I have been and that's been really good. Can I ask, what does your partner do? He's an architect. He just won the Queensland Award. They had the Queensland Architects Award. very good. 
But the funny thing is I bought a, a house that was out sort of, it's about 45 minutes out of Melbourne and it's architecturally significant. It's a, it's a shack, but it's my shack and it's by a noted Australian architect. I think I was the only person interested in buying it because it looks like a nightmare. It's, you know, got heritage overlay and all of that stuff, so you can't do too much. And I was looking forward to, you know, getting in and, and renovating it or restoring it actually is more more what I'll be doing with this place. But um, he came out to have a look and that's how we met. He's friends of friends. And he came out to look at the house because it's it's an early one of, of this architect and, and my friends thought he might be interested and so that's how we met. So that's been really nice. Yeah, so that's another thing I've, I've got on the boil. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to save a little house and it's little and it's a dump but it's mine. <laughs> I have to say, it's been such a joy getting to know you and I love the fact that we can kind of share this journey together. I don't know about you, but I I felt the weight of responsibility that I was telling my family's story through me, but it was just my reaction to everything. What I remember, maybe that's not how they see it. Did you feel the same? Yeah, I mean, history is very subjective, isn't it? There's no right or wrong in terms of how you interpret those stories. But you're right, everybody has different understandings of exactly what happened according to how they remember that situation and where they were placed in the event. So it's, yeah, I think that's probably been a good thing for all of us because we can all interpret it in our own way once this is this is out there and, and do with the information what we want and get from it what we need. Well, I think all of Australia who watches this show and those that are listening to our chat, if they didn't already know... Miff Warhurst is just a beautiful person with a lovely story to tell. And please continue reminding us all that music is the universal language of uh, happiness and love, I think. It lifts everyone's spirit. We so appreciate you spending some time with us here at Short Black. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening.